1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. As always, I'm very happy to have you with us uh, for another show. And as always, we have plenty to talk about on the show today. Our panel includes my Wednesday partner, Greg Bluestein, who, of course, is political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and the author of, let me get this right, Greg, Flipped, how Georgia turned purple and broke the monopoly on Republican power, which is available for pre-order uh, right now, where on, on Amazon. I got my copy, uh, Greg. I'm looking forward to reading it.
2: Thank you. And the final edit is due tomorrow, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to <laughs> this <his>
1: final edit. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? L- late night for you tonight, Greg?
2: Yes, another one.
1: Uh, So, so Greg, let me just mention something about it. So I'm looking at what I assume is the final cover for the book on Amazon. You've got it. You've got Joe Biden. and There's a map of Georgia surrounded by various political figures in Georgia. And Joe Biden and Donald Trump are bookended at the top of the page. Lucy McBath is in the middle uh, Stacey Abrams, John Ossoff down below them, what kind of hierarchy is this, uh, Blue screen? I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't you have Stacey Abrams up there in the top row, for goodness sake?
2: <laughs> That's a good point. There's all these pushes to change the order of the faces. I didn't have any role in any of that stuff. I, didn't, I just, I just defer to the experts on that stuff.
1: Wait, wait. Chuck Williams uh is with us as well, uh who of course is a political reporter is a reporter and a longtime political reporter in uh Columbus. Uh he is a reporter now in television at WRBL TV in Columbus. Um Chuck, when you want to sell a book these days, you want don't you want Stacey Abrams right at the top of the cover for goodness sake? You know,
3: I just have so much respect for Greg for writing it. I can I mean, I can't wait to read it. But yeah, I think I would have had Stacy a little higher, Greg. You probably should. I'll,
2: I'll tell them, I'll tell them. There's also push to get uh, Alvin the Beagle on the cover, so I've asked the uh, the, the publishers if they could throw instead of a double of one of the candidates. You know, because I think there's a, there's a repeat of one of the of one of the characters.
1: All right. Well, the book is available. It won't be out until later in March, but we're, so, we're really happy for you, uh, Greg. We're looking forward to uh, all the excitement that the book will get when it is finally released. Donna Lowry is back with us, uh, host of lawmakers and, of course, a veteran TV reporter in Atlanta. Many of you remember Donna from her years of work as the education reporter at Channel 11, where she really put a mark on the education beat before going off to work. In communications in the yeah. Cobb County uh, 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 school system, Donna. Thanks for being here today.
0: I'm excited to be here, and, and Greg. I just want you to know while you guys were having that conversation, I pre-ordered my book on Amazon awesome. at that moment. Just sent out. Just sent it out. So uh, right now. It's ordered. I'm I'm on the list. It won't come to market. Right Thank you and, so much. Yeah, yeah. I'm there. I'm excited for uh, we you. We are also. Nice to know an author and to be on a show with me, an author like you. <laughs>
2: Thank
1: you. We are also joined We are also joined today for the first time <laughs> by Jill uh, Nolan, who is the deputy editor of uh, 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 the Georgia Reporter, which is an online uh, newspaper that a lot of us have been reading with great regularity. Um, and uh, we're very happy uh, to have you on the show today, uh, 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 Jill. Tell us, since this is your first appearance, did I say Georgia reporter, by the way? Georgia recorder, sorry. Um, Tell us a little about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How long have you been reporting in Georgia? And you do cover state politics and have for quite a while now.
4: Yeah, that's right. And thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, I am from uh, South Alabama. Um, I grew up there. Uh, I have been in Georgia for about, eight years. Um, Most of that time I've been covering the legislature. Um, I think my first session was in 2015. I started right in the middle of it, which was kind of crazy. Um, And I have been at the Georgia Recorder since we launched about two years ago. Uh, We focus on, um, you know, a lot of state politics and government, but really anything of statewide interest. I tend to cover more environmental and healthcare issues for us.
1: Well, we're really glad that you are here with us today. Okay, let's get right to it. Uh, Greg Blustein, Governor Kemp is on his way to the border again. This will be his third trip down to the border. He's going to be uh, down there at the invitation this time of uh, Governor Greg Abbott, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And there are nine, I guess there are ten, there are a total of 10 Republican governors who are going to be down there holding a news conference where they're going to attack President Biden for his policies, which uh, they are going to say are allowing a surge of undocumented immigrants to cross the border, get into the country, right?
2: Yeah, and he kind of you this a few weeks ago when he and about 24, 25 other governors signed a letter, a um, Republican governor signed a letter to Biden urging them, urging the president to hold a meeting with him to talk about the, the, the quote-unquote border crisis. Um, but it comes at a really opportune time for the governor as well, because he's been eager to change the subject away from former President Trump and all the problems he's having with his own Republican Party over his refusal to overturn Trump's election defeat. And this gives him a chance to change the subject, to talk about something that kind of unites Republicans, which is uh, you know, pushing a crackdown on illegal immigration. Because if you remember, Brian Kemp made some pretty big promises he'd do to curb illegal immigration to curb the, the you know, undocumented immigrants from coming across the border. He even had that famous commercial where he promised to get in his pickup truck and round up illegals, quote-unquote, round up illegals, in his words, <laughs> um, on his own. And, you know, he's facing some pushback for not quite meeting that promise so far.
1: Um, so, in fact, he was just censured by the Cobb County Republican Party on the basis that he had not done enough to stop undocumented from entering Uh, the country. Chuck, let me, if I may ask you a quick question about this. Um, I get that uh, undocumented immigrants is a big issue for Republicans. It was a big issue for Donald Trump during his uh, presidency. Um, And so I understand that Kemp is trying to ride ride that bandwagon and and win favor among conservatives in his party. But, But Chuck, the puzzling thing about this to me is, and I turn to you on this because you're down there in kind of middle georgia and you've got rural georgia around you um the the farmers in york neighborhoods uh, outside of Columbus they rely on undocumented workers to uh uh, work the fields for them and those are republican voters you know that's always been a
3: complex issue also got a lot of rural alabama on the other side of me too and when you look at that bill i mean it's complex because People that I know are very conservative. Whether they be in the in the um, farming, agricultural industry, or you know, in the building industry, some of those people depend on people that are not in our country legally. And you know, but you talk to them, and their politics doesn't reflect their pocketbook sometimes. And it's really interesting to have those discussions with people when you see people that may or may not be undocumented on, and you can't judge somebody's undocumented just by what they look like. And I'm not saying that by any stretch, but you look around and it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a, it's a heck of a needle for some people who are very conservative in the other parts of their lives.
1: Jill, it, it, (laughs) he is going to be joined there by Arizona governor, Doug Ducey, and in a way, I guess you could say misery loves company. Ducey is another governor who's been under attack from Donald Trump because Ducey, like Kemp, refused to uh, honor uh, Trump's uh, demand that Arizona and Georgia both, both overturn the election results of last year, which gave Joe Biden victories in both of those uh, states. So he's got company in Doug Ducey down there, Jill.
4: Yes, and uh You know, former President Trump obviously loves to pair them together. He did that just recently in Perry, Um, some mutual bashing going on there. Um, I'm Also, I kind of hard, you know, part of the goal here is to kind of shore up his base. Um, I I kind of see, I have a hard time seeing how this helps because he's already been to the border, I think, twice since December. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, since then, he's been, like you say, censured by the Cobb County uh, Republican (laughs) Party. So they're still obviously very angry with him.
1: Donna, it's it. I, let's move over just a second because uh, Jill brought it up again. This this Cobb County Republican Party censure of Governor Kemp. He's I think they're like the ninth or tenth county Republican organization to censure uh, uh, Kemp for a variety of of things, among them not overturning the results of the election, not working to uh, find a way to make Trump the winner here. Um, So this discord within the Republican Party just keeps going on. And as Greg says, maybe a third visit to the border today matters because it takes people's attention off of all the problems that he's facing with his own party up here, at least for a day.
0: Right. I think it does that. And, you know, he is going to be in the same in the same air, in the same photo ops with people who are Trump supporters. So that actually gives him a good look in terms of what he wants people to see. But uh, I also think uh, that it's, um, it's going to hurt him in terms of people who are saying, why are you leaving Georgia and there are problems here in Georgia that you should be dealing with. So um, I, I think he's, he's in a really, really precarious position trying to straddle this line be- between staying true to what he decided during the election that he would not overturn it and then the other side of it, making sure that he embraces or at least um, at least reaches out to the Trump supporters when it comes to uh, so much, because they are still so powerful, especially in this state, in the Republican Party.
1: Greg, to be fair, it isn't as if the Biden administration hasn't given Republicans a lot of fodder to... Uh, excuse me, be critical of how things are unfolding at the border. The the thousands of Haitians who were massed at the border, we saw those pictures of them under a bridge huddled there trying to get into the United States. Um, we saw those other pictures of, of uh, agents on horseback kind of rounding up immigrants um, in ways that seemed inhumane to many. This, the the border. A president of the United States, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, for decades now, is always going to provide plenty of material for the other party to attack him on this issue.
2: You're right, and and there's there's few issues in the Republican base that are unifying as illegal immigration. Um, and I think we'll see, too, you know, that, and that's part of it. You, you just kind of nailed the Republican strategy in 2022 on the head, which is despite all this division, despite all this factional, fat, factional warfare we're talking about in the GOP feuding over Trump and pro-Trump factions and, and censures and whatnot, that come November 2022, the, the combined animosity towards Stacey Abrams, towards Raphael Warnock, towards whoever the Democratic nominee for governors, plus Joe Biden will overwhelm all that. That's the Republican hope right now. Well, we'll see if that happens, but they hope that, that in a midterm a presidential uh, off year, uh, it will be so, uh, the support for Joe Biden will be so low that it will just galvanize Republican support.
1: Okay, we're going to watch uh, for that uh, news conference this afternoon and certainly be reporting on it uh, at, uh, at GPB Radio on All Things Considered tonight. And of course, uh, Georgia Recorder, AJC, everybody will be reporting on what Kemp has to say down there later today. Um, Greg, I want to turn to the um, Attorney General of the United States, who yesterday ordered FBI to investigate and to help address what Merrick Garland called a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against educators and school board members— over highly publicized issues such as mask mandates and interpretations of so-called critical race theory. And and Greg, um, just to add to to, to this, the the attorney general was responding after getting a letter from the National School Boards Association, um, and they they, uh, cautioned him that they need help. And I'm gonna read just a a little bit of what they said. Immediate assistance is required to protect our students, school board members, and educators who are susceptible to acts of violence affecting interstate commerce because of threats to their districts, families, and personal safety. As our school boards continue coronavirus recovery operations, they're also persevering against other challenges that could impede this progress in a number of communities. There have been attacks against school board members and educators for approving policies for masks, propaganda purporting the false inclusion of race theory within classroom instruction, and it goes on uh, from there. And Greg, uh, the letter from the National School Boards Association uh, cites incidents in a number of states, including in Gwinnett County, where there was a contentious school board uh, meeting over masking.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, this is part of this disturbing trend. Georgia was ground zero in 2020 for election staffers and elections officials um, having death threats. Some of them required security. Some of them had to go into hiding even. Um, You know, earlier this week, you talked on the show about how health workers were facing threats um, for just simply offering vaccinations to people. And now, of course, we're talking about school officials who are being threatened, who feel like they're stepping into a gladiator ring you know, to, to enact policies to try to make students safer. Um, I, a lot of the school officials who I've been hearing from have been, uh, have been urging more federal uh, investigations and more, and more federal action uh, to try to curb this, these sort of threats. Fortunately, you know, we don't have uh, – it hasn't gone to the next level yet, but there are worries and there's concerns that it could. And, and that's why the, the, the administrators I've heard from have welcomed this.
1: Donna you covered school boards for a long time are yeah, you absolutely. muted Donna
0: I, I'm, I'm off now I'm off mute yeah I yeah I have covered school boards for a long time and uh, this this has been you can tell uh, certainly with what we saw in Gwinnett County what's going on in Cobb County that this is a lot for the school districts to deal with coming out of this pandemic so in Cobb County we also know that that there have been uh, four parents who are suing Cobb County School District on behalf of their children talking about the mask mandates, asking for them. They want them and are upset that the district won't have them. So you've got these opposing sides. uh, What happened in Gwinnett County was so sad back at the end of the school year, where the, um, the people who want who were people, there was a room full of people without masks on. They got so bad that the school board had to go into another room to really conduct most of the meeting until they had their public session. But then you've got, you know, not only the National School Boards Association's letter to the um, federal government asking for, you know, the FBI and the, you know, um, all of these other groups to be involved, the Justice Department, but you also have you know, the National Association of Secondary School Board Principals, who've also wrote about this similar issue. So they're pretty upset about all of this. It is curious to me, on the other side of this are people who have slammed the uh, National School Boards Association for sending that letter and asking for help. Uh, there's a collaboration of different groups who are including Parents um, parents Defending Education and Moms for Liberty who are upset about this, and they blame the school boards for for restricting their access, for trying to keep them from having free speech, from limiting their public comment, that kind of thing. And one of the groups that I thought was really interesting is the Chinese-American Citizens Alliance of Greater New York, um, that blasted the National School Boards Association for writing the letter and called it an attempt to suppress, you know, this free speech and the whole bit. So it's a there are diverse groups on both sides of it, and their big thing is the um, the Chinese uh, American citizens group is that they are upset over the whole thing with uh, critical race theory. Um, that they, they just think that that is. As one of them, I read where one of them actually compared it to Mao's bloody cultural revolution. (laughs) So, I mean, everybody's kind of looking at these issues in a different way. I don't think um, they're as much focused on what kids are actually getting in the classroom because critical race theory is actually not being taught. In the K twelve space, but it certainly has everybody riled up. And so, between the mask mandates or not having mandates and the the CRT, I think it's um, it's an interesting time in the schools. And what gets me is, for years, it was hard to get people to even think about who they were voting for for school board members. Right? (laughs) You couldn't get people to even think about, you know, who are you? And people didn't even know who their school board members were. And now it's like who are these people? Let's go after them, that kind of thing. It, it was the last yeah. thing on the ballot that anybody even really cared about. Um, but we're certainly going to see a difference. And there's some school board races certainly coming up.
1: Well, adding to that group that Donna mentioned, those, those disparate groups that, that are, did not want the uh, letter to be sent to uh, just DOJ, Chuck, uh, Republicans in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing yesterday uh, attacked Lisa Monaco, the assistant Uh, uh, the deputy attorney general, uh, and and here's how the Washington Post framed their attacks. Republicans at a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing Tuesday accused Biden's Justice Department of heavy-handed tactics to try to intimidate parents speaking at local school board meetings about mask mandates or school curriculum. Quote, if this isn't a deliberate attempt to chill parents from showing up at school board meetings, I don't know what is, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri uh, said to Monaco. You're using the FBI to intervene in school board meetings, he continued. This is extraordinary. He says that justice is attempting to intimidate parents who have complaints about masks and critical race theory and that justice is trying to silence them. Chuck? You know, this is close to
3: home for me, Bill. My wife, Kathy, is a member of the Muskogee County School Board. And we have had a number of discussions about this. And I have seen the phone calls she feels on a regular basis. And, and, you know, it's been interesting. They haven't had what's going on in Cobb County, fortunately, and knock on wood that it doesn't happen down here. But we've got a mass mandate in Muskogee County. And so far, I mean, in an abnormal year, the schools, the 52, 53 schools in our district down here and the 32,000 students are going to school pretty normally. I mean, there's COVID pockets here and there, but the mask mandate appears to be working. And, you know, I worry about her and her fellow board members as this stuff escalates because, you know, I think people right now, particularly when it comes to political argument, either have forgotten or don't know where the line is anymore. And when you put people in front of a school board at a podium and some of the stuff you have seen coming out, I mean, the Southern Poverty Law Center has done a pretty good job of, based out of Montgomery, has done a pretty good job of explaining where some of this is coming from. Um, but when you put people at that podium, and you got in Muscogee County, you got nine board members and a superintendent sitting up there on that dais. I mean, you know, they're targets. And, you know, they, they chose to run for the job. Nobody should feel sorry for them. They, they chose to do it. But there needs to be – people need to know where the line is, and that's what I hope continues.
4: Yeah, um, that's – I mean, that's the way I see this is the Attorney General's office trying to, you know, through the FBI, trying to recreate those boundaries and those lines that, you know, people, you know, yes, you shouldn't feel sorry for them per se, but, I mean, they are serving the public and, you know, they shouldn't face these kind of threats, Right. Um, so on one hand, you know, it seems like that's what the attorney general's office is trying to do, but, um, but I'd have to say that the backlash that, you know, Donna outlined is pretty predictable, you know, with it coming from, uh, Biden's administration. Um, I think that this was, this kind of backlash was, you know, to be expected. So I'm not really sure in the end how, um, how effective or how helpful, how helpful this is going to be.
1: Let's do this. Let's get to our first break. Uh, when we come back, Jill Nolan, just to continue a theme about people feeling like they're under threat of some sort, I want to talk about a story that you published in Georgia Recorder. Uh, another group of people who are worried about their their safety. We'll get to that a lot more on Political Rewind after this break. Chuck Williams from WRLB-TV in Columbus, Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, my Wednesday partner on the show, and Donna Lowry, host of Lawmakers. Boy, you're getting cranked up for a special session, Donna. I assume Lawmakers is going to be on the air when the legislature goes to session on, on redistricting, right?
0: Yeah, we have we have uh some some plans to do some things. We may not have a full show, but we certainly are ready uh November 3rd to get started for that special session. And then we'll turn right around January 10th is when the um uh, this session starts. So, we're get we're getting all ramped up for that. So, tune in. Well,
1: more yeah, more power to you. It's going to be fun to watch how that all unfolds on your uh show. All right, Jill Nolan. Um Let's talk about what I mentioned just before the break. You published a piece uh, in in the Georgia Recorder uh, a couple of days ago, and I'll just read your lead to you. The recent spate of violent threats against elected officials has a state Georgia oversight panel rethinking its position on whether home security systems should qualify as a legitimate campaign-related expense. And this is based on the fact, seven years ago, you point out, the Ethics Commission said, no, 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 security can't be a campaign expense. But now, after a very tumultuous year, as you describe it, maybe candidates, maybe elected officials have a right to want to protect themselves.
4: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, on the surface, this seems like a kind of minor, obscure campaign finance issue, but, you know, it's really... In a way, kind of a sad statement on our uh, changing political climate, because um, as you just pointed out, it was not that long ago when the uh, ethics commission took up the same question. At the time, it was a group of Cobb County Superior Court judges who were concerned that they might face some kind of retribution from, uh, you know, folks they had sentenced. Um, at the time, you know, the commission ruled, no, this is not a legitimate way to use campaign funds. Now there was no one in the room who questioned whether or not this was just a kind of basic, ordinary part um, of a campaign. Um, so they didn't vote on it. They're, but but they're just kind of working out that my, minutia of how it should work, you know, because you have to be careful and make sure that um, candidates and office holders aren't getting personally enriched, you know, somehow. So they're just working out through the there's a logistical. Um, components, but yeah, no one questioned. Everyone. The, the, sense, the consensus was yeah, we were all here last year. We know that uh, a home security system, like a ring, doorbell camera, et cetera, that's, um, that's a legitimate way to use campaign funds.
1: Greg, in her story, uh, Jill cites a number of examples. A supporter of the far right Proud Boys pleaded guilty this summer to th- threatening to kill Senator Raphael Warnock after his win over Kelly uh, Leffler. Um, Raffensperger and uh, Gabriel Sterling uh, had threats uh, when they refused to overturn the uh, results of the presidential election. State Senator Elena Parent said she received a torrent of abuse attacks and death threats after questioning the validity of the Trump campaign's attempt to overturn the election. And we could probably find any number of other examples of this happening to other elected officials, Greg.
2: You know, and it's going to discourage good candidates from both parties from entering the arena. I mean, Brad Raffensperger had to have security detail uh, around the clock. Jeff Duncan did as well. Um, militia members paraded in, in what they thought was Brad Raffensperger's neighborhood. Um, there's all sorts of threats that have been documented against those officials, but also lower-level officials, as we were talking about, who who, who don't usually you know, get in the news, uh, who don't usually attract headlines. I mean, my, my introduction to this was really in 2017 when – both John Ossoff and Karen Handel faced threats, and in Karen Handel's case, high-profile threats that required her to go into lockdown um, right before the nationally watched election. So this is this has been an issue, obviously, for a long time, but it's becoming more of an issue. And in an '18, Stacey Abrams had to spend a significant amount of her... Uh, she, she had to devote some resources to security, and, and her office had metal detectors. They made every person, including reporters, including aides... Go through because they're not taking this lightly, and nor nor should they be. This is a serious matter.
3: You know, um, Bill, I'm going to do a shameless plug to my podcast, The Chuck Williams Show. But the reason it feeds off of what Greg just <laughs> said, my guest last night was Secretary Rappersburg, and we talked about this very thing. And one of the things I said, Did you take this stuff seriously? And he said, I'd been a fool not to. And, you know, he said, this was, these were real threats in real time. And, you know, and when you sit there and talk to somebody like secretary Rasperger and the, he was in Columbus for a rotary speech and he came by the studio and we did the podcast in seat, you know, you get a feel for, you know, Hey, this guy's doing his job and you know, there's a real threat out there. There's something he has to take seriously for he and his family. And he is, and, you know, and, just in talking to him, you know, for this podcast, I really got a sense of how important that security and also just assessing and dealing with those threats is.
1: So this this is probably a good moment to bring up another subject I thought was worth at least a couple of minutes of your time. Every one of you and and me too have spent an enormous amount of our time at the State Capitol covering legislative politics down there, covering the governor, lieutenant governor, the constitutional officers down there. And uh, now, as the special session gears up in the next month, uh, when people arrive at the Capitol, they're going to find a fence, a barrier, a rather formidable fence uh, uh, around the entire building. And I'd really just, because you've all covered the Capitol, I'd really love to get your sense of how it feels to you to know that the Capitol is now barricaded off in, in the way that it's going to be. Jill?
4: Yeah, it's, I mean, it definitely changes the atmosphere, (laughs) um, you know, and, but I also admit that whenever I I first heard that they were building the fence, it kind of seemed like a knee jerk reaction to the, uh, you know, the social, social justice demonstrations that we'd seen, um, January 6th kind of also sort of changed my uh, opinion or, or my view of it. I almost had the sense of like this thing can't get built fast enough because there were actual, you know, concerns that, there, that something like that could, have, could happen at state capitals, too. And that, and that was during um, Georgia's session. So, you know, all of these things are chilling. Um, the concern is, you know, for me, is like what effect this has on the public's like perceived access or maybe actual access to the capitol.
0: Yeah, I I agree with Jill. I mean, we um, I I, I started off thinking, well, you know, they're building this. It was a big mess. You know, there was, you know, mud everywhere. They're trying to build this thing. And then January 6th happened, and we realized that uh, we were trying to figure out security measures for our staff down at the Capitol. What kind of – we were looking for ways to get out of the – the uh, Coverdell building, if something happened, you know, looking for, we were trying to make sure we were safe in, in the case of something happening. And so, you know, so in that sense, I understand, but I, you know, when I look at that beautiful Capitol, I'm sad that it looks the way it does. Uh, I loved the look of the Capitol. I love the, I love when the daffodils came out and the flowers are blooming, and that you could just walk around. And now it just has a different feel. It makes me sad because it, it reminds me of when I drive by houses where people have bars on their windows, and that you know that their lives have changed, that they have to focus on crime. And I, I just hate that we're at this point in our country that we have to think about these things and look at life in a different way because of the way things have changed so much. Because we have. You know, people can search our our email for our email addresses and our home addresses, and you know those kinds of things, and and feel okay about going and and destroying things at our beautiful capital. So yeah, yeah. I, I know it's necessary, but I'm sad about it.
2: Yeah, Donna's right. I mean, I was down there yesterday. It feels like a fortress, um, and I get it. I, I understand. And, and remember, this wasn't precipitated by January 6th. This was most likely rooted. And I was there at night for a lot of these protests, but. Um, the, the protest for social justice movement that had state state patrol officers kind of on the defensive. I remember one night in particular that state patrol officers ringed the statue of of, uh, of uh, John Brown Gordon, the Confederate war, war leader, um, who's astride a horse in front of the Capitol. And there was protesters who wanted, who were chanting to tear that statue down. So um, that's where this was all rooted in. But of course, as Jill noted, after January 6th, it took on a different light. And look, You know, when the governor talks about his refusal to call a special session um, last year to overturn the election results, this is part and parcel why. I mean, he, he, part of the reason he knew that there'd be demonstrations, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan writes about in his book, there'd be protest and counter-protest, and there would be probable violence and all sorts of um, you know, uh, uh, uncertainty and chaos at the state capitol, and this is is a measure to, to bring a little bit of protection and, and, and security to that I, it, who knows what will happen but it does bring at least lawmakers some sense of security and their staff some sense of
1: security you know chuck i i have a, my take on this uh you know i covered 19 sessions of the general assembly starting back in 1984 and um i, I used to i although the entrances that you typically would go in down there are on the, the first floor the street level on one end and the other of the capitol i always used to just really love being able to walk up the steps in the front of the building to the second floor which what i thought of as the main entrance to the building and there was something kind of I, almost there was something powerful about the notion of ascending those steps to enter what seemed to me to be the people's house Uh, and, and that always felt great to me and that's changed.
3: I share that with you, Bill, for those of us that come in from the South, sort of, you get to see that gold dome before you see anything else. So you, you, it, it announces itself before you get to those steps and, you know, it's a sign of the time and, and it's going to be really strange this year to walk into a fence capital, and then also to walk into a capital where Calvin Smire is not in it. I mean, think about that. I mean, Calvin, Calvin's, as, Calvin's as old as the building, I would think. I mean, and he's obviously fixed to become the ambassador to the Dominican Republic. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of changes up there.
1: Yeah. Well, let's be careful. We know Calvin will be doing the special session, right? He's not going to get yeah. his appointment as ambassador to the Dominican Republic it's going to take a lot longer than the special session, Greg. What what information do you have? And on by that? by the
2: way, there's a chance he'll he'll, he'll be in the special. I, I, I talked to him last week. There's a chance he'll be in the regular session as well. It, it, things might have yeah. changed since I last talked to him, but there's a chance.
1: Yeah. Okay. He's, he's got um, got let's be, do this.
2: He's got let's, be approved by the Senate.
1: Um, Okay, I want to get our final break of the show out of the way. We still do have a lot to talk. I want to talk a little about the Atlanta mayor's race. Um, Chuck, I want to talk about a scandal in the Muscogee County DA's office that's really got people in Columbus talking. And we'll do that and more after our final break of the show. So, um, as I said before the break, I want to talk a little about the Atlanta mayor's race. Uh, But let's save that for uh, the last thing we uh, do on the show today. And let's look for a couple minutes on this story that you've been covering, uh, Chuck. I saw your report on the website of WRBL TV the other day. The district attorney, I think I'm correct, he's been in office, what, nine months? Mark Jones has been, is now facing multiple uh, f- felony uh, indictments uh, d- for his uh, uh, conduct in office. Uh, the governor just the other day suspended him uh, while the uh, uh, case against Jones unfolds. What the heck is going on down there? You know,
3: that's a great question, Bill. And um, I wish it was one story. It has been stories on top of stories. And Mark Jones was a lawyer here in town, trial lawyer, um and he ran a social media campaign and defeated a three-term incumbent DA, swept into office. He was uh, part of his platform was free the green. Um, it was a very very alternative campaign. It took hold, and we're a six county circuit that includes Columbus and five other counties around us. Mark gets elected, and he went in. He had two case felony cases pending, a felony DUI against him that had not been resolved and during a campaign commercial During the campaign he had filmed the commercial they had damaged the allegedly damaged the Civic Center parking lot doing donuts, And they charged him with felony destruction of property that case went to trial three weeks ago
0: uh,
3: They uh, judge uh, out of uh, Macon um, had to declare a mistrial in it because jurors were watching the test. I mean, not jurors, excuse me, witnesses were watching the testimony via live stream in the witness room and they just stopped the trial. Now, this is a very different deal. The attorney general's office brought this case against him. It's a nine count indictment off of a GBI investigation of alleged misconduct in office. What they're alleging is they're alleging that in my sources have told me, multiple sources. There's video of this. An off-duty Columbus police officer was working a security detail downtown. He had his body cam on, per protocol, and Jones and he had had a discussion. During that discussion, it is alleged that in the indictment, that the DA asked the police officer. To lie under oath about a guy charged with involuntary manslaughter, so those charges could be up from involuntary manslaughter in the death of a, of a young woman here in town to murder. Um, it's incredibly serious charges. There's also bribery charges. It's kind of if you remember Sean Payton in the New Orleans case, they're saying that he was offering, they are alleging he was offering cash bonuses to prosecutors to obtain murder convictions and say they were ready for trial when they weren't. So there's some serious allegations in violation to vote. He has demanded a speedy trial.
1: Uh, Chuck, one quick question before I get the rest of the panel involved. Are there significant cases pending in that, uh, in that office that are now being uh, are disrupted to some extent by this?
3: There's clearly disruption, Bill. I mean, but now Shanika Terry, who is the chief assistant DA, will take over in the interim basis. He is suspended with pay until the resolution. It looks like we may have a November trial. But Shanika is named in the indictment. She's one of the ones that alleged the bribery uh, against oh. him. She's a potential witness against him in a trial. It it it, it is really fascinating. But I mean. It's really strange to be going yeah. into a courtroom and see the DA sitting at the
2: defense table.
1: <laughs> yeah. Gre- Greg, um, I'm looking at the indictment. Two counts of influencing a witness, two counts of bribery, two counts of violation of oath by a public officer, two counts of attempted violation of oath, on one count attempted subornation of uh, perjury. Uh, Greg, I have to tell you, when I was reading this story, I happened to be re-watching The Wire, that great, great HBO series about Baltimore police, gangs, and the like. And one of the major themes in that series is the corruption of the police <clears throat> who are always looking for ways to make their numbers look better. Uh, and in this, I thought about this case with a DA who wants to get a police officer to lie to up a charge against someone from manslaughter to murder.
2: Yeah, and remember, I mean, he has previously denied these charges, but you're right. When I when I read this coverage, uh, the first thing I thought is, down ticket races matter. You know, a lot of times it's hard to get people interested in races like Fulton County or, or a District Attorney, Muskogee County DA, those types of races, but they have such a huge impact on on, on, a, on, a local government and a society because they decide which cases to prosecute, what type of resources to put on those cases. Um, and, you know, and now Muskogee County is in, in all sorts of drama and uh, and it won't be readily solved. I mean, it's just, there's, there's no easy way out of this um, and it's going to take a long time to, to work this through the court system.
1: And, and Jill, just to put this in a bigger context that, that you know, goes, spreads well beyond Muscogee County, this at a time when trust in law enforcement is so low as it is right now among large segments of our population, this doesn't help, Jill.
4: Yeah, it's particularly damaging to the public's confidence um, when you think about how this is happening and unfolding. As Jackie Johnson and Glenn County is under indictment, um, and those and those indictments came very close to each other, so I think that compounded the effect on the public's confidence.
1: Yeah, Jackie Johnson down there in Brunswick where where she mishandled completely the Ahmaud Arbery case and and now is facing uh, 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 charges against her for that. Donna?
0: Yeah, no, I I was thinking the same thing. So what we're seeing right now is um, a spotlight more on these district attorneys uh, that we probably haven't seen before or in a while. Um, and that, they, that we really have to think about. Who, this is these are another these are other elective offices and we've got to really consider what's going on with them. Um, I know there was some movement, there was some work last legislative session to try to to um, to look at this whole issue when it comes to district attorneys. I believe it was. Uh, state Senator Harold Jones the second who may have had the uh, legislation Jill you may remember better I don't think there was much movement uh, I don't I don't think it, it it rose to the level that um, it, it may now uh, but I'm thinking that this next legislative session that we're going to see some, some something at the state capitol that deals with um, district attorneys.
1: Okay um, we'll watch all that unfold uh, Greg. Uh, The uh, Atlanta General Constitution, one of numerous organizations that are holding town forums for town hall meetings for the mayor candidates, Atlanta mayoral candidates. Uh, Just the other night, the election's coming up pretty quickly now. It's Tuesday, November 2nd, so people may not have been paying much attention, but the time to start paying attention is now. What did you learn in any, whether it's the AJC forum or the others that are unfolding are, are you learning anything new about these candidates for mayor?
2: The poll, by the way, showed 40% of the electorate is undecided. We'll have another poll out um, later on this month that will probably hopefully show that that number is, is a lot is a lot reduced uh, as people are starting to tune in. But I, my hat's off to these candidates because um, they're doing – it reminded me of a flashback to 2017. They're doing two, three panels a day sometimes. They're being very transparent, all of them, and open and willing to talk at these forums about the major issues. And what struck me about this one, I got to moderate it and not once, mm-hmm. and I was timekeeper, so I had to cut people off and kind of be the bad guy like Bill is usually on these things. But not <laughs> once did I have to offer a rebuttal to anyone. Because not once did any of these candidates go after each other. It was very, you know, it was, it was a little off-footing. I, mean. I thought they'd kind of clash a little bit more. But it meant that the, the, the discussion, you can watch them at AJC.com, and we just came out with some highlights too that are on our webpage. But the discussion was, very policy-focused, and one of the issues we talked about is an issue that will be in the legislative session next year, which was uh, Buckhead City. And what struck me was the candidates, some of the candidates at least, were talking it as a, it was already a done deal, that the referendum would have passed. They say, uh, one of the candidates said, in 2022, when this comes up to a vote, I will be leading the charge to fight against it. So, they, so some of the candidates at least are, are, are looking at it as if this is already going to happen, that lawmakers will pass this next year. The referendum,
1: but so so obviously there's not a candidate running for mayor, a, a major candidate Hello. to the Westman Lodge who supports the succession of like Buckhead.
2: That's yeah. one fifth of the population and a and nearly one half of the city's revenue. It would it's, it's, be a giant nightmare. So they're all opposed to the Buckhead City. All the major candidates are opposed to are the, the the, the secession movement um but they're looking at their you know messaging right. as it's, hey this is going to come for a vote and we're gonna
1: fight it and we're able to stop in the um, uh, uh, Sarah or whoever's on the board uh, we're hearing some extraneous noise in the background. I'm not quite sure where it's coming from, but it may be Chuck I know Chuck Williams is in his newsroom and it may be coming from there so Chuck's moving to another location. Uh, Donna, it, the, uh, clearly, the number one issue in this race is public safety, violence, yeah. and crime across the city of Atlanta. And uh, I think, you know, when you see 40% of people, about a month ago, this poll was taken, I think, now, undecided. Um, yeah. It's probably, among other reasons, it's because people just haven't been paying attention until maybe now. And we'll see when we see the next poll. But it also may be that... Um, People are having a hard time understanding, being able to differentiate among the candidates and get a sense of who has a plan that really is going to change things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to start making up their mind because early voting, I believe, starts next week. So they're going to have to start making some decisions. But yeah, I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out who who everybody is and um, what it'll all mean and really... If there is a plan for um, dealing with the crime issue that really will work, you know, like who's who's got the better plan and whether or not it's going to make a difference. And also this whole Buckhead City issue, um, what what it's going to mean in terms of the rest of Atlanta if that gets rolling. I thought, um, first of all, Greg, you did a great job with, um, with uh, uh, moderating that. But, uh, but I thought it was also interesting that a lot of them on the Buckhead City issue at least focused on making sure people knew that they, people were hearing them. They need to maybe do that when it comes to the crime issue, too, doing a lot more listening in terms of what people really want uh, to happen if, if it's going to improve the, um, what's going on with crime, which, you know, is, as you mentioned, Bill, the number one issue.
1: Yeah, Chuck Williams, you're, I, I, are you still with us? Although I know you changed yeah, locations. Yeah, I am.
3: I am
0: Bill.
1: Okay, so thank thank you for doing that. By the way, um, how, oh, sorry what, about what, the noise down there in Columbus. What are you? What to what extent does what happens in this mayor's race uh, matter to you all in Columbus?
3: You know what happens in Atlanta matters to all of us. We, I mean, we all know that. I mean, but at the end of the day. I mean, we've got a DA under indictment. We've got our own issues. We have a we have a scandal going in the Superior Court clerk's office where their uh, former clerk is accused of stealing uh, accused of stealing millions of dollars in uh, in public court funds. So, I mean, we've got our own issues, and I think people in Columbus are focused on what's going on down here more so than probably in Atlanta. I mean, because Atlanta it, it is it is the engine. We all know that. Every All of us that live outside of there know it. But we also, you know, better take care of your own house before you start looking at somebody else's.
1: Yeah, but, but Greg, we're running really out of time, but Chuck points out it is the economic engine that drives the state. So the mayor's race here does have a profound impact on Georgians no matter where they live.
2: Yeah, and across the region, and in terms of city-state relations, to look, Mayor Reed was a huge driver in the Deepening of the
1: Port of Savannah a couple years ago. Greg Bluestein, last word for this show. Thank you for being here. Donna Lowry, Jill Nolan, Chuck Williams. Great conversation. We are really short on time. Maybe I have enough time to say I'll see you tomorrow. So in the meantime, stay, take care, stay safe. Wear your mask when you're around other people inside. And now get your flu shot, for goodness sake. See you tomorrow.